since its founding more than 20 years ago, Campbell University Divinity School has been guided by a unique six-word mission statement, Christ-centered, Bible-based, ministry-focused. That mission statement captures our distinct integration of academic rigor, spiritual formation, and practical application. It lays the foundation for an unusual strong sense of community among a very diverse student body, drawn from many different denominations, ethnic backgrounds, age groups, along with the faculty and staff. It expresses the deep, shared commitment to our faith and willingness to engage with different points of view that characterize everything we do. We do not seek simply to inform students, rather we invite them to journey into transformation, challenging them and equipping them to develop their own understanding of what it means to be Christ-centered, Bible-based, and ministry-focused. We invite you to learn more about us. Check out our degrees, concentrations, and programs. Come to one of our continuing education lectures, to Visitation Day, or to one of our regional recruiting events. Contact us to schedule an individual visit. Call one of our faculty to lead a retreat or Bible study or to wrestle with difficult issues. You can reach us online at divinity.campbell.edu. We look forward to hearing from you. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. Before we get to our conversation, we want to tell you about CBF ChurchWorks. CBF ChurchWorks Conference creates a space each February for congregational ministers of education and spiritual formation to be equipped for the journey through creativity, community, and worship. To teach the people of God, educators need a place to be equipped, to be inspired, and to be renewed. ChurchWorks 2019 focuses on sharing the love of Christ by battling injustice, exclusion, and marginalization in our communities. Hear from unique voices of those who are bearing witness to Jesus Christ in their communities and creating a true sense of belonging to God and to one another. Join our colleagues February 25th to 27th at Third Baptist Church in St. Louis, Missouri. Register now at cbf.net backslash churchwork. And now, on to our conversation. Alexa Tewksbury is an award-winning author for Pens and Tops Secret Diaries series. Her other titles include It's a Boy and It's Christmas. In 2006, she was the winner of the UK Christian Books Award, children's category. In 2016, her screenplay, My Month with Mrs. Potter, won the Driver Award of Best Featured Film and Coventry International Film Festival 2006. Alexa, thanks for joining the conversation. Oh, you're very welcome. That makes me that makes me sound quite interesting, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you list all those things. I think, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the best part of this is I was sitting here thinking, you know, you could just talk all day because I find your accent to be uh, quite remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always think when we're watching films and there's it's an American film and there's English people in it, the, the English people always sound so stilted and the Americans sound so relaxed and just, you know, casual. And then there's suddenly this English voice in there that's so terribly sort of proper. <laughs> it's a, I don't know, it's funny, my family feel the same. It just sometimes kind of jars a little bit, but I, <laughs> that's probably just how it comes over to us. Well, as if our listeners uh, couldn't notice, uh, you're not exactly from the south of, of America. So tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about where you're from. Uh, well, I was born in um, a town called Cookham in Berkshire, which is not that far from London. 
but then my parents moved right down to the southwest of the country um, and then they moved again and I actually grew up um, in the south of the country again sort of in the middle in a town called Winchester um, in Hampshire and and but now I found myself back down in Devon again so um, so I've kind of had a little range but my actual my, my passion in this country is the north I love the north of the country and one day I hope that I might be able to move up there but it's just um it's not quite possible at the moment so I've, I've sort of, I'm, I'm very, um, I tend to think of myself as not having an accent because I think of all the regional accents that there are around the country. And, uh, and I listen to myself speak and think, well, you don't seem to have an accent at all. But then my daughter says, well, you do. It's, it, this is our accent. <laughs> so we're just kind of like, like sort of general Southern English accent, I suppose. And then, and then there's all sorts of variations on that. Hmm. Well, um, I would say I'm the kind of person that if you were playing like a uh, a movie quiz game, you you want to pick me as your your teammate. I kind of have an internal uh, IMDb page uh, that cycles through my brain of knowing who is in what film and who directed it. And uh, I was surprised to find that you have an IMDb page, of course, for uh, your screenwriting. Tell us about that experience. Well, um, my screenwriting began quite a long time ago. In 2002, um, my brother is an animator and he was commissioned by a man called Steve Legg to make an animated version of the children's story. Just a, a kind of 30, 35 minute film. Sorry, did I say children's story? Of the Christmas story. And um, Steve Legg's idea was that he wanted to make this and then distribute it free to all the primary schools in the country. And my brother came to me and, and asked me if I would like to write the screenplay. Now, up to that point, I'd been doing bits and pieces of writing, but nothing had nothing published or, or, or made or anything. It was just, I would send stuff off and I'd get it back through the door and think, oh, well, I'll try something else. Um, anyway, so I wrote this screenplay and um, it, it in fact uh, featured David Oyelowo, who is now quite big in America um, in, in films, but, but back then he was working in the UK and um, uh, well, just in quite small scale things, but he moved to America and his, his profile kind of exploded over there. Um, so he was Joseph and Stephen Burkhoff was King Herod. And um, I recorded uh, a couple of the voices as well, along with some of the other cast. And, and it was, I loved it. And I realized that I loved writing in dialogue at that point. I think the thing is, when I was growing up, I always wanted to be an actor. That's what I thought I would be. It didn't occur to me that I'd be anything else because this was, was that my dream that I'd had for so long. And, um, and then when it came to actually writing, I don't know if it's something to do with that, but it, it seemed easier. It came up very easily in dialogue. Um, so when I write books, I, I do incorporate quite a lot of dialogue into the books that I write, particularly a new series that I'll tell you about shortly. Um, and then I, having written that screenplay, I wrote very other just little bits. But then I had the opportunity in about 2014 to write the screenplay for a feature film for um, two brothers who were, um, they were doing their masters in filmmaking, one as a producer and one as a director. And they asked me if I'd write the screenplay. So I took their story and turned it into the screenplay for their feature film. And they very kindly gave me a little part in that as well. And it was all very exciting. It was only, it was only um, you know, it was a student film, but they, they entered it in various festivals and it went to the Coventry International Film Festival in 2016 and it won Best Film, which was so fabulous. So, um, so I, I, I sort of thought, well, that is something, it's not something that I've done a huge amount of screenwriting, but it is something that I would love to do more of. So just because I, 
I love to tell a story in dialogue. Well, I'm proud to say that I now have a second friend that has an IMDb page. Uh, the first one, <laughs> the first one's a bit embarrassing. He's actually a former church member of mine. And he, he said, yeah, I've got an IMDb page. I was a, a boom mic holder for a film. And I said, oh, really? You know, just kind of expecting here. So I'm really embarrassed. I really don't want to tell you what it was for. And I said, well, why? He said, <laughs> it was when I was in college and I was a boom mic holder for an adult film. And uh, so I thought, well, yeah, you probably don't want to advertise that to other people. <laughs> but now, now he's got an IMDP page there for everyone to see. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, so outside of uh, screenwriting, um, you're primarily known for uh, your writing to children, which um, I find to be uh, very fascinating because uh, it really takes uh, someone called uh, to do such a thing. I, I was given uh, some opportunities very early on as I was doing uh, itinerant speaking, and I very quickly learned that uh, children is not the audience that I am gifted to speak to. Um, but you have uh, these two brilliant series, uh, Tops Gang, um, and, and then, of course, the Pins series. Uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, these series and, of course, uh, writing to children. Well, it started off, it, it was kind of, um, because of It's a Boy, um, it, It's a Boy was released as, as a film and then I was asked to write a, a picture storybook of that as well. And it was through that that I came in contact with the publishers called CWR in Farnham in Surrey. And um, they contacted me one year and said that they were um, looking to produce um, a Christmas book, a children's Christmas book. So, so because of the publishing schedules and everything, I, I did that and sent it off and they liked that and it came out come a year later so the following Christmas um, and then I think I think there was another Christmas book and and then I'd had an idea because they produce um, Bible reading notes daily devotionals for children based around this little gang of children called the Tops Gang um, they'd said to me that we'd, we'd quite like to find other ways to use these gang members you know, to market them in, in a different way and at the time this was about gosh, mid-2000s probably, um, my daughter was reading a lot of diary books. So, so you know, authors had written books as if they were the child writing the diaries. And I thought, well, why not take these, these members of these gang and write a diary for them? So just write about their daily lives, the things that happen, fallouts with friends, successes, um, all sorts of things just that happen to them in their daily lives, going to school and at home, um, with the underpinning of their Christian faith. So that it's not, um, it wasn't actual sort of lessons in, in Christianity, but it was just these children basically chatting like they would write in their diary and incorporating God into their everyday lives. And I, so I, I brought this to CWR and they really liked that. And I imagined that there would maybe be one or two books, but the whole thing kind of ballooned. And, and um, so there were, there were diaries for every single gang member. There were seven gang members. Then there was even a diary for the dog and the cat that belonged to the two of the gang members. Um, and then it turned into activity books and an activity Bible. And, um, and then it, it, it went even more to a series called Top Secret Stories, which was there's um, a rival gang that the Tops gang uh, come across and have different sort of interactions with. And so um, this series of books, The Top Secret Stories, was about adventures that the gang had, but with this rival gang and how they kind of well, interacted together. And and again, just bringing God into that, into their everyday relationships and how they resolve their relationships with this other gang through their Christian faith. Um, 
so so the the tops thing just did i i'm not sure how many books there are that cover tops completely but, but there are a lot um then there's a series of tops gospels which is um i, I wrote aspects stories from the four gospels and um it was as if the the children from the tops gang had gone back in time so they the introduction to each book is that is one gang member is imagining imagine if i'd been like around when jesus was alive imagine if i'd been there following him around with his teaching and i'd seen the miracles and i'd done that so that was the sort of premise and then the the, the stories are taken from each of the gospels with the children there so you get their perspective on it as well as um, the retelling of the story. And those books are aimed at the sort of seven, eight, 11, two, two 11 year old age group. And it was through those books that CWR said, well, actually we'd quite like to bring out some devotionals for the three to five, six year old age group as well. Um, and there was a lot of to and froing at that point. They wanted, they're, they're called pens. And, and for people that don't know, this is actually pens, you know, pens and pencils and felt pens and things. Um, and they've been beautifully drawn by um, an artist called Mike Henson. And, and he's given them such character and, and they're so colorful. But there was a lot of to and froing about that, um, trying to find the right object. And I think all sorts of different things were suggested, shoes and um, uh, mugs, just all sorts of things that children might come across in their daily life. But anyway, eventually pens was settled on. So there's 24 of these little booklets now of, of pen stories, and each one has 30 stories in. Um, and there's stories about the pen's characters that relate to um, a particular Bible verse. And then uh, there's little teaching points and things to think about and discuss with the little children. Um, they're basically designed for parents or teachers to read with very young children. Um, and there's there's a lot of colourfulness that goes along with it, and then there's a pens activity bible, um, so that, that again young children they can engage with the bible, but then at the end once they've been through the stories, they can then sit and do the puzzles and the and the games and answer the questions. So um, uh, and I think there are also it didn't have anything to do with me, but another offshoot was these um, pens sticker books, and they were beautifully produced, A4 size books. Um, with just the pens pictures and then pages of stickers at the back that you peel off and stick onto the right places. So, um, but again, they, they were kind of an offshoot of pens, not actually something that I did. But it was, it, it, it started with It's a Boy, and then those other series grew out of that. Um, what, what's exciting is that uh, CWR then said, uh, probably last year, I think it was last year, that they felt it was time for something new. So they then asked me to um, come up with an idea of something new for seven to 11 and 12 year olds again, um, probably based around a family and uh, taking sort of everyday events um, and, and trying to make them a bit bigger than that. So there's a new, is it all right if I talk about the new series now as well? Oh, of course. Is that, there's a new series that, that the first two books came out last, yeah, no, no, I think it was, it was spring this year, actually, the first two came out. And the series is called Sparky Smart from Priory Park. And Sparky is, um, is an eight-year-old girl, and she lives with her brother Stanley and her little baby sister and her parents in Priory Park. And 
the story, lots of things that happen in these stories are, are not exactly, well, kind of based on things that have happened in our family life, but I've sort of made them a bit bigger and exaggerated them uh, to make them funny. So there are lots of laughs in, the, laughs in these books, but again, um, the underpinning is there, that God is there. God is the linchpin of this family's life. And, and often, in, a, in an unusual twist, it's the children that are teaching the parents. <laughs> So the parents sometimes get things wrong and the children point it out and say, well, actually, so, um, but they were a lot of fun, a lot of fun to write. And there are two more coming out in that series this Friday. So I'm quite excited about that. Um, and they are um, rather unusually called The Wrong Toilet and Other Disasters um, and The School Fate Fiasco. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, quite, I'm quite looking forward to when they come out and seeing what the kind of reception for them is. Well, you do uh, brilliant work, and um, these series are exciting and colorful and uh, very creative. Uh, you know, for me, I was actually introduced to your work through your IVP series, um, classic stories such as Daniel in the Lion's Den, Joan and the Whale, yes. uh, Noah and the Ark. You know, I wonder, um, you know, for you, uh, as you consider your spiritual journey, what, what led you to, uh, to write faith-centered works? In some ways, I don't know whether um, God slotted me into that way. Um, I wanted to do something creative because I, I said I think I mentioned I wanted to be an actor, and, and then I didn't. I didn't. I took different paths instead, and it got to a point where I really, really wanted to do something creative, and the doors that seemed to open were the doors towards writing faith stories. Um, it began with it's a boy and then it just it just broadened and broadened and the ideas and the suggestions and the commissions just kept coming but i love the idea that in writing first of all I, I think i think reading for children is so important i think if you can teach children through reading if you can help them escape through their reading or or, or um just broaden their horizons through what they read then I think that's fantastic. And I think what a privilege to be an author and have that opportunity to do that with children. Um, but when you're, if you're a Christian and you have the opportunity to share your faith with them, but in a way that's not, not sort of, um, yeah, it's not strident and it's not saying this is how you should be. And, but you're basically sharing how other children's faith is to them with your readers so that children can see that, it doesn't have to be, you don't need special words to talk to God. You don't have to be a special person or a, a particularly holy person to have this relationship with God. And I thought if I could just show this through books, um, then it might help children along in their own Christian faith. And what my real hope was when I began writing uh, for Christian publishers was that non-Christian children would pick up these books and, and that they wouldn't be put off that they'd feel, oh, actually, that's something I can relate to. That's, and, and that it, it isn't a threatening thing, and it does seem like a very normal, everyday thing. Um, do you know what I mean? I didn't want them to feel, I didn't want them to think, oh, yuck, I'm not reading that. I wanted it to be a book that they would enjoy anyway and hopefully take something else from. 
This podcast is presented to you by the School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb University. The School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb University exists to prepare men and women for Christian ministry, namely the work of the Lord's Church. Our two degrees, the Master of Divinity and the Doctor of Ministry, are carefully designed to equip and encourage ministers for the calling that God has placed on their lives. The Master of Divinity offers six concentrations, and the Doctor of Ministry can be obtained in either Christian ministries or pastoral care and counseling. Should God have called you to any number of ministry vocations, or if you aren't quite sure which one yet, you will find a place here at Gardner-Webb where, as one of our former deans once said, your heart and your head can be friends. For more information on the Divinity School and upcoming events, visit gardner-webb.edu backslash divinity. Storytelling is an, an art. For those that don't believe that to be true, have clearly never sat with someone who can't tell a story. Annette Simmons, in her book, uh, The Story Factor, writes, because you are the storyteller, your life is the most important story you will ever tell. It is your story, and there will never be another one like it. So, so what, what about your life forms the stories that you tell? I think, I think having children. <laughs> so, I mean, my children are both grown up now, but um, having children was... I had this idea before I had children, long before I had children, that I wanted to be like um, Maria von Trapp. I wanted it to be that kind of relationship where we were, where where we were friends and um, and it was fun all the time. And um, I've been very fortunate, and that's how it's worked out. My children and I, my grown-up children, and I are great friends, and um, I think because because I spend a lot of time with them, and I did read to them a lot and I encourage them in creative things. Um, I think that made me, a lot of that was to do with what made me want to write for children. I read you know, a lot of books with them, and I used to think, this is before I really started, started doing it, I used to think, I'm sure I have ideas that I could do something with here. And, and so it was almost as if, it was almost as if having children pointed the way for me to go. It, 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 opened up the creativity that I, I knew that I had, but I didn't quite know which direction to point it in, if that makes any sense. No, no, it does. Um, it's fascinating because uh, I think the same can be said for those that um, engage in the art of story through, uh, through preaching. Um, you know, there's this transparency that takes place as you, uh, convey this message to whatever audience that um, your journey is is coming forth through it, and um, you know you can only manage to to convey in a sense what you've truly experienced because if not there's that sense of uh, of a lack of authenticity to readers or to listeners. Um, yes. uh, there's a, a a quote from um, Flannery o- O'Connor. Um, this, uh, there's, there's something in us uh, as storytellers and as listeners to stories that demands the redemptive act, that demands um, of what falls at least be offered the chance to be restored. And the readers of today look for this motion, and rightly so, but what he has forgotten is the cost of it. And I wonder if, if you consider the, the greater arc of, of your writing what are your hopes for your your readers to to catch to listen to see to feel 
I think ultimately, I think ultimately, I want them to enjoy the stories. I want them to, to, I want them to be taken away. Sometimes I think there's so much stress in life today and there's so much sadness and children are so engaged, worryingly engaged, I think, almost with the state of the world and the various, the various threats that there are to them. And I think if you can write books that take children away from that and just give them a moment to be in another place, a place that isn't threatening to them, um, a place that will make them laugh, then I feel that that's a, a privilege to be in a position to be able to do that. that that's, that's one reason why this new series I mentioned that's coming out with, um, on Friday, um, they are funny, the situations are funny, and I love to think that a child might read that and it would make them laugh. And maybe, you know, if they read that book in the morning and it makes them laugh, maybe that'll then help them to have a better day. I think, um, obviously, there's so many, many different types of stories on the market and some of them, they're, they're not happy stories and they're taking children into other places completely that, that you know, perhaps aren't going to help that child have a good day. But I would like to feel that the books that I write would lift a child up, would would um, help them with a problem. You know, perhaps say in some of the tops books, perhaps they would think, well, I've faced this problem. I've fallen out with a friend. My parents have split up. I've um, I'm adopted. I would like to think that the the situations in the books help them to see a way through their own situation. You know, not necessarily in the fact that the books offered advice, but just because they can see how it's played out in someone else's um, life. And I and I, I I've been a single parent family for a long, long time. My marriage split up a long, long time ago, and I think a lot of that uh, is reflected in the writing that I've done. Um, and I'm very aware of my son and daughter and how that might have impacted them as they've been growing up. And I think, as you say, it's taking I think you hear, don't you, write about what you know. And I think I think you can go wider and you can write about what you don't know as well and take it to other places. But I think, as you say, there is that authenticity. If something has touched you or, or affected you in some way, if you can then bring that to your writing, it's more, it, it, it's more evident that you know what you're talking about because you understand those feelings and, and you understand so with children's difficulties you children might might get that feeling that you understand what they're going through and and you you're not trying to tell them how to behave or or you know just be dogmatic about it this is the only way but it's as if it's as if you can show them that this is a way and that and that you understand well maybe let's go a little deeper there um i know you know as a as a father of two children, um, naturally, I take the stories of our lives to convey uh, a greater message that I might be speaking about, whether through this platform and the podcast or through uh, weekly uh, sermon conversations. And so I wonder for you as, as a parent, how has that helped form these stories that you, you tell children? A, a lot of it is to do with family life. Well, all the books that I've written are to do with family life, not necessarily, um, you know, family, parents and two children, but the family 
the Tops gang, they, they, they have their own families, but the gang themselves make up their own family and they're there for each other and they support each other um, and they go away together and they do all sorts of activities together as you do in, in your own you know, parent and child family. Um, and then in the Sparky Smart series, this new one, again, it's very, very family centered. So those relationships, I mean, I, I, the family that I grew up in, my parents split up, but not till I was quite a lot older. Um, but, but there's that, so I had that knowledge of, of family relationships there. But I think probably the relationship I've had with my children is slightly different to the one I had with my parents because I did grow up with both parents in the main, whereas my children mostly have grown up just with me. And so uh, we have, um, I think it does make you closer. I think somewhere it's made us, it has made us closer and it's made us more understanding of each other. And, and I feel now, my, they both still live at home with me at the moment, um, but I feel that now we have this kind of, it's almost like we're roommates or something, or housemates, <laughs> because there's, a, there's just a, it's very easy and it's very comfortable and there's not, it, it's not um, combative in any way. Um, and I, I think through, as a parent, you go through so many roles. You begin, first of all, you, you have your baby and there's your nurturing role. And then you're, as they're growing up, you're beginning to teach them and you're beginning to show them, teach them what's right and what's wrong. And, and they're beginning to look to you as the role model for how you react in different circumstances. And then as they grow up and then you are, you are friends, but you're, you still are acting as an advisor and, and um, you're never going to stop worrying about them, are you? Um, but, but, is a kind of evolution in parenthood. And so now my children, my son and daughter are in their twenties. Um, it's interesting when I look back at being a parent, I feel so we've always had the same relationship, which obviously we didn't when they were little, <laughs> but it feels to me as though it's always been like this, which is, which is quite nice in a way. No, I, I certainly understand. I have a four year old that seems like she's going on 30. Right. <laughs> There's a um, one of my favorite Ernest Hemingway quotes, which of course I have to censor. He uses another four-letter word that I'm going to use here. Um, <laughs> he said, uh, "I write one page of a masterpiece to the 91 pages of crap, and I try to put the crap into the wastebasket." Um, tell us about the the creative process of of storytelling for you. Um, I actually find. I find writing really hard. I, I think that that is probably common for writers. I think you have days when it just writes itself and you get to the end and think, wow, that was really exciting. But a lot of the time I find it a really hard slog. And, I, and I, I'm often writing to deadlines. So there's a print schedule and you just, you have to be finished by that point. And because um, the, the other aspect of my business is I'm a, a proofreader and copy editor which is also everything is to deadlines. Um, and, and I have to do that work because I kind of do the writing work around that work. So sometimes it all gets a bit, um, a bit frenetic. <laughs> and um, I, I suppose it's finding that clear space in your head. I try to, I say, I've been very, very fortunate in having been commissioned for books. The books that I wrote for SPCK Publishing were also commissioned. Um, they had an artist lined up and they wanted the stories of Noah and Daniel and Jonah written. And they came to me and asked me to do that. And, and, um, 
and I and I really enjoyed that. Um, with those stories, which there's a framework there because the stories are in the Bible. It's just finding the right way to to write them, the right way to um, engage young children with those stories. And in those, I chose to do them writing in the first person. So I thought the child will hear that character from the Bible actually talking to them. Um, but where where the commission is, say for instance, the Sparky Smart series, we want a family and we want it to be funny um, and we want their, their life to be underpinned by faith, but we want a lot of sort of adventure going on around it. Um, so, so you're in the position where you've got to construct, once you've got the family in your mind, you've then got to construct what are these daily things going to be? And they, and although, you know, they can be daily things, but they can't be so daily that it's just really dull. There's got to be, there's got to be high points and humorous points. Um, so I think I ask myself lots of questions when I, when I start to write a story, I, I think, all right, so that could happen. And then what? And who could come in? And why are they there? And and what are they doing? And if that happens, how will that person react? So I I I do a kind of um, a spider diagram thing, and I have lots of bubbles shooting off it, and and I I have just have lots of questions in, and and when I get stuck, I I just say to myself, right? And then what? And who's who's going to come in next? And and how could that happen? Uh, just to try and, and free myself up again. Very often I'll find that that the story will be longer than I intend it to be because I'll I'll have this framework and I'll think, oh, there's not enough there. And so as I go on, as I'm writing, something else will pop into my head and I'll think, oh, we could go there. And then something else will pop in, oh, we could go there. And suddenly I realise I've, I've gone right away from the framework and it's got all these other elements in there. Um, and, and then it's too long. And then, but then, then I can think, okay, well, I won't include that and that and that. And then maybe I can put that and that and that in the next story. So it's quite a, I find it a very, I find it an exciting process very often when it does suddenly, see, it's almost like it does write itself, like the characters suddenly take on a life of their own. They're having a conversation. And then suddenly someone will, the next one will say something. I think, oh, yes, of course you do. It seems very natural what they say. But I haven't, I haven't, I, I haven't felt as though I've consciously thought, oh, now they can say that. So there is a, it does, it does pick up and take on a momentum or it can do. But then there are other days when, when it's, you know, like slogging through mud in slippers and um and every word is, is you're dragging out every word and i think a lot of that can be if i know i've got a deadline for something else a proofreading deadline and i think well i need to write so many words today but i've also got to get that done and then i think my brain goes into a bit of a, a bit of a like i can't do everything sort of mode and um and freezes up a bit so then it, it's a question of thinking about what's most important and getting that out of the way and then getting and then getting back to the writing so it's kind of I think what I'm trying to say is it's I find it very fluid I can have I have ideas I don't have a I never write with a detailed plan but I do have I do have ideas and I list ideas down as I go and if I know that I'm writing every day for a week say at the end of every day I always like to know that when I put my computer back on the following morning I know exactly what's going to happen next so I'll shut down and then I'll make notes 
about what's going to happen next. So I can sort of think, that's okay then. So I know I can start again in the morning because I think there's nothing worse than I than thinking, I don't know what's going to happen next. And then putting the computer on the next day and thinking, I still don't know what's going to happen next. So, so it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a fluid process, I think. Hmm. It's also a surefire way to guarantee that you have dreams about pins and tops every single night when you go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> but I quite envy those writers that say, uh, you, you say, oh, I really love that part of your story. And they say, oh, yes, I had a dream about that. So I woke up and I wrote it. I thought, I never have dreams about my writing. <laughs> 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 but it must be great if that happens to you. And then you, and then you've got it kind of, oh, yeah, that's what happens next. Of course it is. It's, it's sort of, it's done for you in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, hopefully someone else can write with some coherency because the times I've woken up in the middle of the night and thought, oh, that would be a great sermon illustration. The next morning I try to read my notes and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> well, the other thing I do if I'm out and about walking the dog or something, an idea for a story will pop into my head and I'll think, oh, I must write that down. And then, and then I, but at the same time I'm thinking, I will write it down, but I won't forget it. And then I don't write it down and then I have forgotten it. And I, I can't think how many times that's happened now. <laughs> mm. That's the beauty of a smartphone. Uh, Siri and I have a wonderful relationship where I'll say, Siri, set a reminder for, and I'll fill in the blank with whatever idea that I need to remember two hours later, because I will not remember it. <laughs> I'm glad you have a Siri, not an Alexa. Do you have the Amazon Alexa over there? No, I have too many devices listening to me, so I had to cut a few out of my life. <laughs> We, we spoke about the sometimes the challenging aspect of storytelling. Um, what's the greatest joy and celebration of storytelling? Um, I think the greatest joy that I find is when it does take off and start to write itself or when I've reached a really like, knotty bit and I'm not quite sure which way it's going to go. And then suddenly there's this moment where I think, oh, yes, of course, that's what can happen. And it's such a... It's, it's like this weight is just lifted off you and suddenly you can see the whole thing rather than just a little bit. And, and also, the ending of a story, I, I never know exactly how it's going to end because I know that as I'm writing, things are going to change. But I find it really exhilarating when it will get towards the end and suddenly my mind will go, that's how it's going to end. And, and once I can see how it's going to end, um, it just kind of brings the whole thing together and, and finding a really, uh, not memorable exactly, but um, finding just a last line or last couple of sentences that, that, that sound really good as an ending, that I just, I, I find that really exhilarating. I feel that it, it's, there's a proper completeness there. And, um, and yeah, I find that very exciting. Of course, you told us a little bit about some works that you were talking about coming out this week. Uh, this podcast airs in November. It'll be out for a couple of weeks. But uh, what's what's next for you? Um, I'm doing I'm I'm completely different sort of writing, but I'm trying to get uh, my business blog off the ground um, for for my proofreading and editing business, um, and. Um, so I'm hoping that there'll be time to focus on that. I've got a post that I'm publishing on Friday, which is actually to, to go along with the launch of these next two books. Um, I, I hope that there will be some more work with SPCK um, um, 
the, potentially in the same series as as the books that are already out with them, the, the, the retelling of the Bible stories. Um, with with CWR again, I hope that there will be more in this in this next series. I would also very very much love the opportunity to do more screenplay writing. Um, I have various ideas, um, sort of in my head that that I think would make you know even if it was short films or or, or something a bit longer. But the two brothers that I worked for, um, that I wrote the screenplay for, that won the award, um, they're not doing so much at the moment. So I think it's a question of finding other filmmakers who are looking for scripts um, and, and see whether anything uh, could come of that. But that's, I think it's script writing. It's something that I would really, really love to do more of um, and, and see where that goes. But I, I also like the idea of, of, um, of radio, writing for radio radio plays and and um, potentially performing in those radio plays as well again it's it's um, finding the openings i was very very fortunate to uh, find the openings with the publishers that have come to me for writing um, so it's just it's just finding those openings perhaps to do something a little bit different um, but uh, in the meantime i do hope to write more for both spck and cwr well be sure to write those ideas down because we don't want you to forget them. <laughs> and, it, and it just dawned on me that you asked if I had an Alexa. Do you have an Alexa? I don't know. And I'm very resentful of Amazon because often I think people are getting used to it now, but the number of people that, that ask you a question, Alexa, go and do this. And I think it's, it's not funny. Actually, <laughs> I, work with, um, I work with an independent publisher who funnily enough is also called Alexa. And, and we said, you know, there, there must be some way we could get our own back <laughs> on Amazon because our name used to be like quite, nobody had, had heard of it that much. And it was sort of, it was unobtrusive and it was, um, you know, well, just fairly little known. And now it's kind of bandied around everywhere. And I go into a PC world and shops and there's, it's all up on posters and, and, um, and I find it a bit off-putting really. I don't mind seeing Tewkesbury going up the motorway, but <laughs> well, I don't really want to see Alexa in, in, in terms of an Amazon device. <laughs> so no, I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> well, is, you know, people might think you mad if, if you had an Alexa, because you'd be walking around as if you were talking in third person all the time. Yeah. Funny, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no, I don't know why. I don't know why they came up with that name. I'd like to know what, what it was. I think it would have been better if they came up, you know, if they made up a, a name or used something a bit more science fiction-y. I'm going to guess there was a technology engineer that uh, had a girl named Alexa that broke his heart. That's, that's <laughs> Get his own back. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those that want to stay connected with Alexa on Twitter, of course, it's Alexa Tewksbury, or you can visit her website, alexatewksbury.com. Uh, Alexa, thank you for writing out of the authenticity of your life onto the page. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. And it's been lovely to talk to you. And, um, and I'll, I'll certainly keep you up to date with what might happen next. <laughs> Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by David Carell of Universal Creative Concepts. At UCC, they specialize in partnering with churches and ministries like yours to provide quality products for your logo and branding. David likes to find the right products that represent and fit your desired need and budget. UCC can logo virtually any product that you might be looking for. 
Need apparel like t-shirts, jackets, polos, socks for staff, youth groups, conferences, or for many other branding needs? UCC is your one-stop shop. UCC can provide all logoed items that you use for visitors, from pins to drinkware, or tees for VBS. David desires to be your go-to guy for all items logoed. On a personal note, I've been using David at Universal Creative Concepts since 2009, and I hope you will give him the opportunity to serve your promo needs. Whatever you want logoed, David does it. Contact him today at 1-888-GO-TO-GUY or 888-GO-TO-GUY.net. That's 1-888-GO-TO-GUY or 888-GO-TO-GUY.net. Hey, you won't be disappointed. Well, that's our episode. We'll see you next week. Visit cbf.net for more information about Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, stories about our field personnel, chaplains, and church starters, as well as our advocacy work around the world. <laughs>